Hey everyone and welcome to the year was the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host Michael Montalvo and for the next few minutes we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes it a truly unique. In this episode we examine the events that occurred January 13th. The idea of the men in black has existed for as long as things have existed. I mean, some of the more obvious examples being the devil, or the men in black, or the men in black from Lost, or the men in black from Westworld, or the men in black from the Dark Tower series, or the men in black from Halloween, or even the 1949 film The Man in Black starring Betty Ann Davis. And those are all good examples of the man in black. I assume. I haven't seen or read all of those, but there is one that perhaps comes to mind more so than others. The man in black of the music world. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash began his life in Kingsland, Arkansas, February 26, 1932, and from an early age was exposed to the music of the South. Hymns, folk, work songs were all part of his life, and he took to writing songs in his teen years, although... Who among us didn't do that? The only difference is I don't see Garbage is the Warmest Color becoming as big a hit as Cry 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 or Get Rhythm. Cash spent much of his youth working in the fields and it was here his mother took notice of his musical abilities, saving money so that the young Cash could take singing lessons. However, his singing teacher allegedly told him to stop taking lessons as he already had a unique singing style and voice and did not want him to lose it. By 1950, Cash had graduated high school and he moved to Detroit to work in an auto factory until the outbreak of the Korean War when he enlisted into the Air Force. It was actually here that his musical career really began to take off. He bought himself a guitar and taught himself to play and together with a few friends formed the band the Landsberg Barbarians, but by his own accounts, they were terrible. It was during this time in the Air Force, however, that many of his early songs were written, including Folsom Prison Blues. By 1954, he had left the Air Force, married his first wife Vivian, and moved to Memphis where he formed a trio and played for free on local radio stations. It would take a year, but in 1955 he would land an audition with Sam Phillips and Sun Records and was promptly rejected. Sam Phillips did not want a gospel singer and told Cash as much, telling him to come back with something more commercial, so that's what he did. He returned to Phillips with Hey Porter, and soon after, released a debut single. Here's a bit of trivia for you. Cash was born J.R. Cash, but Phillips billed him as Johnny on the single, and this angered him because, in his eyes, it made him sound young. Nonetheless, he and his fellow bandmates Luther Perkins and Marshall Grant had a record, and were now respectively... Johnny Cash, and the Tennessee Two. 1956 saw the release of Folsom Prison Blues and I Walk the Line, both which proved to be a success, and that success followed him into 1957, when he appeared on the Grand Ole Opry, wearing all black, a contrast to the performers at the time. Doing so earned himself the nickname, The Man in Black. The rest of the 50s saw much success for Cash and his band, 
and by 1960, they had added a third member to the Tennessee too. But things were beginning to change. The entire Cash clan had relocated to California but saw little of him as he was on the road 300 nights a year. It was on these tours that he would meet June Carter, who would often accompany him, and would eventually co-write one of his signature songs, Ring of Fire. The hectic schedule and his personal life caught up to him and Johnny Cash began to dive into drugs and alcohol, which consumed his life. His wife Vivian filed for divorce in 1966, having had enough of the long touring schedule and the drug abuse, and his life continued to spiral down. It was in this spiral that Cash was discovered in a near-death state after a drug binge. He was arrested for smuggling methamphetamines into the United States, and he started a forest fire in a California park. By his own admission, I took all the drugs there were to take, and I drank. I was walking around town 150 pounds. I looked like walking death. By this point, it was late 1967. He reconnected with June Carter, and with her help, he began his journey to get clean. And then, Johnny Cash went to prison. The year was 1968, and on this day, January 13th, Johnny Cash walked into Folsom Prison to record two shows that would become the album At Folsom Prison. To be clear, he never went to prison for a crime. While serving in the Air Force, Cash and his unit saw the film Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison, 1951, and it was this film that inspired him to write Folsom Prison Blues. The song went on to become his second single, and because of the nature of the material, many inmates from many prisons wrote to him, asking to perform at the prison they were currently in. And he actually did a few. Huntsville State Prison saw a performance in 1957, and he actually played outside the walls of Folsom in 1966. By 1968, his star, which had been rising, was beginning to decline, and it seemed like the days of Johnny Cash were over. And that's when his record label, at this point Columbia, went through a bit of leadership change. Producers Frank Jones and Don Law were removed, and Bob Johnston was brought in. Johnston was known for erratic behavior and a willingness to disagree with studio executives, so, in other words, a good fit for Cash. Cash, seeing this, took the opportunity to pitch his idea for recording a live album at a prison, and Johnston responded favorably, calling both San Quentin and Folsom Prison. Folsom called him back. Despite the backing from his new producer, Columbia was still reluctant to commit to funding the project, but on January 10th, Cash and then-girlfriend June Carter arrived with the band at nearby El Rancho Hotel. At Folsom, things were a bit out of hand. Sometime prior to the show, a guard had been taken hostage and inmates were warned not to stand. Above the prison audience, guard patrolled the area with guns, and a stage was erected in the cafeteria where the show was to take place. Cash had designed the show to be one to speak to the prisoners, choosing each song to fit their emotional needs, and after a night of rehearsing, on the morning of the 13th, he took the stage, dressed in black, for the first performance to be followed by a second that afternoon. The first show was energetic, the second more subdued, but both audiences loved it. They were adoring but restrained. Cash shook hands with them, and then it was over. 
Having recorded both shows, they then took to editing the best from both into a single album. And when it was released in May, it became an instant classic, inspiring a sequel at San Quentin. Johnny Cash would continue to perform at prisons and was often outspoken about the need for reform. He would often speak about the need for humane treatment of newly released prisoners and the need to keep youthful offenders out of the system, a cause he would advocate for all of his career. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1992 and would die in 2003, only four months after second wife June Carter Cash, ending a career that spanned more than 40 years. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps share this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the Year Was Audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.